Welcome back to the Unfamiliar Business Podcast. In this episode, we're going to have a great friend of mine. He's going to be back. You guys have probably already seen him, Julian Chavez. Uh, and we've gotten a lot of feedback from the first episode. A lot of people love you, man. A lot of people love the stuff you were saying. A lot of people love the value you were giving. So we didn't cover a lot of topics, and that's why I wanted to have you on again. So for the people that haven't seen you on the first episode, just give them a little background about yourself real quick, about what you do, and then we'll hop into the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me back on. Of course. I'm glad everyone liked the first podcast. And I mean, real, real estate goes really in depth. You know, for each one of these topics, we could do a whole podcast on it. Like that's how in depth it is. But I'm Julian Chavez. I do real estate. Um, I'm a real estate investor as well with iBuyFund. And I also do mortgage loans. All right, perfect. So one of the one of the things that we didn't go over last time too much in depth that I wanted to get into that I actually got a lot of feedback saying, you know, I would love to hear some of this is the tax benefits of real estate. So I know there's a lot of things that real estate uh, has that benefits taxpayers and basically can allow you to pay less in taxes. So yeah. tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. Like one one of the biggest ones is the 1031 exchange. Um, a 1031 exchange is when you sell an investment property and whatever money that you make, well, all the proceeds really from the sale of the investment property go into a 1031 exchange account, which is usually held like an underwriter or something. And you have 45 days after that to locate a property and 180 days to close on it. That would be your exchange property. Um, when, when you buy that property, use the funds from there. You could use it as a down payment or as a hold amount. You could even buy multiple properties with that 1031 exchange proceeds from the original sale. And once you do that, you don't have to pay capital gains taxes or any kind of taxes on the gain of that property. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. No way. Okay, so let me get this right. So essentially, I could start off buying a $200,000 home. Yeah. I could sell it for 500000 yep. And I would have to pay zero in taxes if yeah. I buy another property in 180 days, it was? Yeah, you have to close in it within 180 days, but you have to locate it, like basically have it under contract in 45 days. Yeah. And there's ways to get extensions on that too. That's golden. That's yeah. insane. So do you use this 1031 uh, exchange? Or? I have, yeah. Okay. I've, I've used it before. Um, just you, you have to sell the property, but you have to be really careful. You can't just tell the IRS after, hey, I did a 1031 exchange. You actually have to hire a company that does it. You have to pay them like $1,000 or something because after you close on that property, the, the one that you had mentioned, I think you said like 500000 after you close on that, you don't touch that money at all. It yep. goes into that 1031 exchange account and then you locate another property and use those funds. Let's say you don't use them all, the, the remainder of the money obviously goes back to you. Okay. So essentially that escrow is just, you can only use that money to purchase another property. Yeah, or okay. multiple properties. Or multiple properties. Okay, yeah. so it just has to be in the real estate world. It does, yeah. Yeah. And then, so you could do it. How many times could you do this 1031 exchange? Is it unlimited or? Unlimited, yeah. Unlimited. So you can essentially just scale from 200,000 uh, millions on millions of dollars in real estate without having to pay any taxes. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of people That's are doing that right insane. now. <laughs> yeah. Because like the prices have appreciated like crazy on investment properties. Yeah. And maybe they could use that equity. And before they only had one investment property, now they could use that equity and buy two investment properties and not have to pay taxes yeah. on it. Yeah. So you just compound your growth and. Yeah. property that's that's beautiful yeah you and just keep going yeah so w how would you recommend somebody that's looking to purchase a investment property not necessarily a primary house right or a primary residence would you recommend them to go the route of opening up an llc and putting it under a business or putting it under a, their personal name uh, for tax purposes it, it depends well okay for tax purposes uh, i would definitely do it under a corporation under an okay. llc 
it also i'm not a cpa but it also gives you the ability to write things off yeah a lot easier because you just expense it through that corporation so what type of things could you write off like any uh, expense essentially well not like any like you can't go to on a trip to europe <laughs> or maybe you yeah, can if you're yeah. checking out real estate properties yeah, yeah. i know people that do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah. go over there check out real estate properties but uh i mean you could put like the car payment on there you, it, it's also cleaner for accounting purposes like to pay your contractors and whatnot but that the, the second biggest benefit though of for taxes with real estate investing is also the depreciation you could depreciate the properties over 27 and a half years and that right there it's like it's not a real expense because other things that you write off like you're you're actually spending money on that yeah and like the money's leaving like you write it off and people just say they call it good yeah but depreciation by itself you're not actually you're not writing a check for the depreciation amount to anyone it's just something the irs gives you as a benefit yeah. so if you if you depreciate it like that and let's say you have a depreciation of I don't know, maybe ten thousand dollars a year. Yeah. And you're getting income of ten thousand dollars a year from the property. You're paying zero in taxes. That's Essentially right, yeah. your net income is zero. Yeah. That's golden. So that's another way to like basically get tax advantages with real estate. Yeah, depreciation is huge because you're not actually spending money on depreciation. That's awesome. What about for a person purchasing a primary residence? I know there's a couple of tax advantages for that as well, not just for investments. So for if somebody's buying their first homestead or their first house. What tax advantages do they have? Uh, you could, for, for any of the loans, whether it's in your personal name or not, you could always write off the interest on it. Um, I believe you could also depreciate your, your own home as well. And when you sell your home, if you're single, you don't have to pay capital gains if you hold on to it for over a year, up to 250000 If you're married, I believe it's 500000 Okay, that's awesome. And if you sell um, your primary residence, can you do the 1031 exchange or that's only for investment properties? That's only for investment properties. But if you sell your primary residence, could you still move into another primary residence without having to pay capital gains on a certain amount with a certain amount of time or no? Uh, you could if you stay under that $500,000 cap. Under the $500,000 cap. Yeah, okay. if, if I believe that is still the cap for it, yeah. yeah. But what you could also do is, you know, it was your primary, then you moved out and then you rented it out and then you call it investment property. Okay, so then there you would qualify for the 1031 exchange. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you just got to be tricky. You got to do it, you know, truthfully. Yeah. Like, you actually have to have yeah. made it an investment property. And you can't have um, the homestead exemption on it. Okay. Yeah. You you, you can only have one or the other. You yeah. can't just get both. You know, you can't have the best of both worlds here. Yeah, because people ask yeah. me that. Like, okay, I want to do homestead. I want to do the 1031. I'm like, yeah. which, which I one I want to do you? everything, man. Yeah. I don't want to pay anything in taxes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want the IRS to cut me a yeah, check after yeah. I just made $200,000. That that's beautiful, man. Because you know, one of the biggest expenses that people in general, business people in general, or people in general have is taxes. Yep. You know, that's one of the things. You know, Uncle Sam is gonna take all your money if you allow him to. So if you start using these loopholes and these uh, legal ways of basically deferring your taxes, you're gonna start becoming wealthier in the long run. And uh, one of the things that I also wanted to ask you. Um, regarding you know getting these type of loans uh is what different type of loans are there for maybe a self-employed person or a person just buying a, per a regular home or an investor uh what type of loans are there what type of products are there for them to get into a property right so uh, there, there's a there's a whole bunch of them but i'll start with you know the normal government programs which is fha uh you could buy a property with three and a half percent down you, know, you could even buy from a condo all the way up to a fourplex with three okay. and a half percent down. We also have conventional. Conventional starts at three percent down, but you have to be under a certain income percentage, which in Miami is really hard to be under that income and buy a house with a conventional loan. 
Uh, so really conventional levels start at 5% down. Okay. And the difference between conventional and FHA for the debt to income ratio, which is probably the most important thing for you to get qualified, is what, like 50 and 57? Or? That's right. A conventional typically lets you get up to 50%. You know, there's a lot of other factors that go into it, like credit score, uh, how much of that's going to go to your housing ratio, how much it's not. But yeah, it's between 50 and 57. Um, but a big difference, I, I think, with, with FHA is that it has the, the mortgage insurance on it. The mortgage insurance premium on FHA is a lot more than conventional, and it also never goes away. It stays for the life of the loan until you sell that property or do a refinance on it. And for conventional, you don't have a PMI? Well, you do have mortgage insurance for conventional if you put under 20% down. Okay. But it goes away once yeah, you have Yeah, once that you equity. get past 20. Yeah. What about in the FHA loan? FHA, it stays. It stays forever. For the life of the loan, yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. And the premium for FHA is also a lot higher. And the PMI is pretty high, right? Normally, yeah, I it's mean, a big expense. It could be three, four hundred bucks. Yeah, like a month. Yeah, yeah, with conventional, if you have good credit, I mean, it could be fifty bucks, seventy dollars, yeah. something like that. Okay, that's not bad at all. Yeah, and then yeah. going into like the other programs, um, which are really popular right now, is the self-employed program. So you have the bank statement loan. Um, you don't have to show any tax returns or anything. Uh, you qualify just based on the deposits that you make in your bank for twelve months. Uh, we take that and we, we get an average of it, and that becomes your income. You still have a DTI, a debt-to-income ratio, with that loan as well. Uh, it starts at 10% down. Um, we also have a profit and loss program. We just look at a profit and loss statement for the last two years that starts at 15% down. This has to be prepared by CPA or a tax preparer. And then a, another popular one now is the DCA, DSCR loan, okay. which is the, the program that you use for rental properties starting at 15% down with no mortgage insurance. Um, when, when they do the appraisal report, the appraiser just has to say that the projected rent for that property is going to cover, is going to at least cover the mortgage payment. And the, it's the total mortgage payment. So it has to cover it at least, or does it have to be like a certain percentage just above it? Just at least. Yeah. So if your okay. principal, interest, taxes, insurance, HOA, the total housing Everything payment, let's say it's $1,000. If the appraiser goes out and says it's going to rent for $1,000, you can go, you can qualify for the loan. Yeah. Okay. And for those, how much do you have to put down again? Starts at 15%. 15%. Down. Okay. Yeah. And essentially, uh, for those, let me ask you this question. Is there a limit to the amount of money you can get, you can borrow with a DSCR loan? Uh, I, they probably have like a cap, like a 3 million. Okay. So um, you can on get one loan. Yeah. One loan. Okay. And, and you could have as many loans as, oh, wow. as you want. You could have a hundred loans, a thousand loans. So essentially you, if you have the, you said it was 15%, right? Down. 15%. So if you have the 15% down, which 15% of 3 million, that would be what? $450,000. Yeah. I have $450,000, right? I can go and purchase a $3 million property with a DSCR loan. Just if the property's rent covers the mortgage. That's right. Yeah. And even if it doesn't cover, there's options for that. The rates are higher, and they might okay. make you come in with more money. That's that's like a case by case scenario, yeah. but we'll, they'll figure something out. Okay. So so this is a you know this is one way that people actually make a lot of money in real estate, and one way I've seen it, and it's using these loans to leverage their investments to get a way higher return. Because in the example I just said, if you put four hundred fifty thousand dollars down to buy a three million dollar property. And it cash flows or it breaks even. Let's say it just breaks even and you're not making anything in cash. But now that property goes up 5% in the next year, right? That 5% is how much of $3 million? That would be what? $150,000? Yep. So in one year, you made $150,000, but you only put $450,000 down. So even though it's 5% of the $3 million, you're actually making one hundred fifty dollars of four fifty. dollars yep. So that's what, 33%? 
return instead of 5%. That's so you're right. making a way higher return on your actual cash. That's your cash on cash return. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people forget about that with, yep. with real estate, that it's really not about how much the property itself went up. It's about how much more money you're making. Yeah. I mean, like in, in simpler terms, like let's say you bought a house for 100000 They came in with 20% down, so $20,000 yep. down. And the property went up to 150000 which isn't that big of a swing, especially yeah. looking in the last few years. You know, you just went from putting down 20, now you have 50,000 in equity. So yeah, you so more you than more doubled. than what you even put in. <laughs> you more than double your money. Yeah, yeah. That's, using that's leverage. ridiculous. And that's happening a lot nowadays. Definitely especially with all prices time. just going up. Yeah. So that's, that's, w that's the reason that the most millionaires are made in real estate. Yeah. That is that, that that's the reason for that. Yeah, but I, I really think the the best way to do it is with leverage because the thing is like let's say you would have bought that hundred thousand dollars, that hundred thousand dollar property in cash, it would have to go up to two hundred thousand dollars for you, you to have doubled yeah. your money. You're gonna make the same return percentage wise. Yeah, percentage yeah. wise, yeah. Okay. It, the 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 other thing is though, in times where the market crashes, that's where you can kind of get, you know, fucked in a way, <laughs> right? Because it's, you can essentially get into a property, let's say you get into, you use a conventional loan and you only put 5% down, right? On a property that's 100K, right? So you put $5,000 down, purchase this $100,000 property, and now let's say the market just crashes by 20%. Yep. So now that property is worth $80,000 and you owe more than the equity that you have in that property, right? Because now you owe $95,000 and the property is worth, $80,000. Right. No, like I see where you're, where you're going with that. But the thing is, even, I really think even in times, like let's say the real estate market does crash, I still think you're better off being levered than not. Because yeah. if not, you, you're losing your own cash. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd gotcha. rather lose the bank's cash, you know? I yeah. mean, not saying that I'm going to default on it, but yeah. I think you'll be good regardless, you know, if you could hold on to it for a few years. Like the average recession lasts like what, like a year or something? Yeah. I think it's 18 yeah. months. I, I can't remember what the exact data is i mean you just got to be able to weather the storm and get through it i mean hopefully you have it rented or hopefully you have the same job but also i mean if people bought the property a couple of years ago with these low rates at three percent or something i mean they're they're still probably their payments probably cheaper than it would be even at that lower value with, yeah, the, higher with the higher new interest, rate. interest rates okay i could see that yeah 100 percent. and yeah as long as you know as long as you could weather the storm it's a long-term game right everything that happens in the short term is insignificant right you could essentially lose money in the short term as long as you can weather storm hold on to these properties as long as you're that's why the most important thing is the cash flow right yeah you're cash flowing you don't have to worry about property decreasing in value or not yeah. you can hold it on for as long as you want and in the long term it's gonna go up uh, it's actually i think that's some benefits of real estate is that like there's nowhere you could go and see like the real value of the property yeah. Yeah. you know like when you log in like let's say it's like stocks you log into e-trade yeah you see that you you had ten thousand dollars in apple now you only have seven thousand it makes it a lot easier yeah. to just click the button and put sell yeah you know to sell real estate yeah. like, it's, it's a lot harder it's less liquid yeah you got to call yeah. a realtor you got to list it maybe it sells maybe it doesn't you could be trying to sell it for for six months <laughs> yeah yeah uh one thing i do want to talk about though that we didn't talk about last time on on the last episode is uh 2008 and what happened there because we see a lot more bubbles in the stock market or in other liquid assets but in 2008 that's something that we saw in real estate and it was a big market crash that happened and what do you think uh do you think 2008 before we even get into this do you think 2008 will happen again in the real estate market no definitely not definitely no? not how come I mean, the, the biggest difference between now and 2008 is, is supply. There was an insane amount of supply back then. Um, also, banks were doing 
crazy, crazy loans. I mean, bro, honestly, all the time, I'm, I always tell people, I wish I was working during the times of 2008. Well, not 2008, yeah. but leading up to 2008. Because shit, those people were doing giving loans to anyone. Yeah, anyone, yeah, anything, yeah. any anything that had a social security number. Yeah. They were giving a loan to. So you, if you're <laughs> smart, you know, you're making money in those days. Yeah. There's a lot of people that made a lot of money in 2008. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, we, and mortgage loan originators, we're not lending our own money. Um, so we're, <laughs> we're lending someone else's money and making a commission off of it. But yeah. back then they had the, the ninja loans, which yeah. I'm sure you've heard of. Yeah. Uh, okay, so t t tell the, the <laughs> people a little bit about the ninja loans. These are the type of loans people were getting back in the day, huh? Yeah, no income, no job, no asset. That's what the ninja loans stood for. Um, and so that meant basically anyone could get a loan. And those loans, I mean, they'd be at 100% LTV. You could buy a property without putting a dollar into it. Some, in some cases, even getting money back. <laughs> wow. So the bank was lending you money for the property and then cutting you a check after. That's, that's crazy. How, how do the banks get to the point of giving a loan? Like, you have to be a little bit dumb to, to give a loan to a person that has a no income, no job, and no assets. Like, how are they going to pay you back? Yep. Makes no sense whatsoever. Because <laughs> everyone's banking on the appreciation. Yeah. They were all speculating on the yeah. market. Keep, like, like they, they all thought the market was going to keep going up. Yeah. For no reason. Yeah. Because there was just, there was too much supply, too little people willing to pay those prices. And they just thought it was going to go up. I mean, I remember seeing the big short movie and it was like a stripper that had like three properties yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. she was or on she her fourth had, one, I think. She <laughs> might have even had more. Yeah, like, she, I think she was saying she was on her fourth or fifth one. Okay, that's, look, that's if home prices don't go up, you are not going to be able to refinance. And you're going to be stuck paying whatever your monthly payment is once it jumps up after your teaser rate expires. Your monthlies could go up two, three hundred percent. Two hundred percent? On all my loans? What do you mean all your loans? We're talking about two loans on one house, right? I have five houses and a condo. That's that's something you actually see a lot in bubbles. Uh, I, I saw it in stocks too, you know. Um, and it's when, not necessarily the ordinary person, but when everybody and their mothers is talking about that investment. Yep. And like nonstop talking about it. Like, oh, like, like you saw in the big short, that's when uh, Michael Burry or um, the person that was playing Michael Burry at the time sat there and he he saw that the stripper had five houses and he saw that everybody was talking about purchasing a house and yep. how easy it was and how easy it is to make money. And he's like, this is a bubble. This is going to crash. It's going to crash bad. A lot of people are going to lose everything. And I saw it in stocks a couple of years ago when everybody went, when you saw like a GameStop, yeah. you know, all, all those things happening, the, red the, the, the Reddit stocks, yeah. All these meme <laughs> stocks going up and just everybody and their mother all of a sudden is a stock investing professional. And yeah, the same thing with, 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 crypto, with the crypto. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, crypto. Yeah. Everybody all of a sudden is a crypto professional. They'll tell you a thousand reasons why it's going to go up and zero reasons as to how it could ever go down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And th that's what happens in bubbles. It's euphoria. Right. When you're at that top. So. Uh, the thing is that back then, like they were buying real estate and they had no game plan at all. I think I think it's a yeah. lot different now because. If anyone watching this has gone on a loan, it is hard. They yeah. ask you everything. Bro, everyone I do a loan for, I basically know everything about them. Yeah, yeah. Like everything, yeah. bro. I like did a loan for you and, and yeah, bro. You know, it, every, every little detail. Uh, like how many, how many questions <laughs> did I have to ask you? Yeah, yeah. Like it how was many documents papers on papers for? on papers for yeah. like a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's not easy yeah, to get a loan. Yeah. Like we try to make it as simple as possible, but it's not easy. So it's a lot different than before. And I, I don't think there'll be as many defaults as there were back then because people were just buying properties. They weren't renting them out. There was no game plan. The only game plan was to buy now and flip it and just sell, but flip it and not add value. Yeah. Just try to like, yeah, 
buying it hoping some <laughs> some other fool yeah. will sell it to you, will buy it from you at a higher price it's the greater fool theory which is uh, right it's the who's going to be the greatest fool of them all that's going to catch it at the top yeah that's basically it like a lot of people made money don't get me wrong definitely you're not investing though again you're it's speculating on you could have been the last one you you were just lucky yeah, that bro. you were one of the first ones or ones in the middle not the ones at the top that ended up losing everything yeah yeah i mean a lot of people made a lot of money speculating yeah. on things 100 percent so I, I think that's that's the main difference between now yeah. and back then. Like a lot of people are, a lot of people right now definitely think real estate's a good investment, but they, there's really a strategy behind it now. Yeah. I don't think there's that many people saying, I'm going to buy this property and pray to God every day that it's going to go up in value. Yeah. Um, I think people have different strategies like buying them, renting them out. Um, but something that I think could be a little bit dangerous for people going forward is the Airbnb investing. Okay. How come? Uh, Talk to me a little bit about that. A, a lot of people that, I mean, they think Airbnb is cool, which it is pretty cool. A lot of people like the idea of like having a nice property and especially like out of state Airbnb investing. They're like, oh, I could visit Miami every once in a while when it's not rented. So they, they look at that. I mean, they think that's sexy. It has like a sexy approach, but they also have insane valuations. You know? Yeah. So they're willing to pay a lot more just valuing it off how much it'll produce in Airbnb essentially, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. which... Like, it, you could make money from it. I'm sure people in the last few years have been making money. But going forward, I don't know if a lot of people are going to keep traveling as much as they did. Okay. Like, there might not be that much more influx of travel. Like, we had the most travel ever probably in the last year and a half just because no one traveled during COVID. They had a lot of money saved up. But what about when that money dries out? What about when the PVP yeah, money yeah. dries up? <laughs> yeah. But let me ask you something to play devil's advocate here. Um, a lot of the Airbnb prices that I see when I go, for example, when I go to New York, or if I go to California, sometimes they're cheaper than a than a hotel on a daily rate. So, for example, if you're getting on a property that you might be able to rent for for three thousand dollars a month, and that property is now renting daily for four hundred bucks, and a similar hotel might be at six hundred dollars. So, I think it's that that's why the comparison would be different from rents there. But at the same time, you have a lot more expenses that go into Airbnb, which is yeah. Know, th that's the negative about it. Yeah, it's, it, Airbnb is not more is isn't just like the regular real estate investing, which you just you buy the property, rent it out, and you just that's it. Yeah, Airbnb is more like a job. Yeah, I think you could make money on it definitely, but I think you should just have like a like a plan B. You know, yeah, like, yeah, hundred percent. Like, let's say the Airbnb doesn't work out, I could rent it on a twelve year lease, and I'm still going to cash flow or at least break even. Okay, but if you're going to be underwater doing that, I, I don't think it's a it's a good deal. I think the traveling is probably going to slow down. Um, I prefer to stay in hotels also. <laughs> yeah, I, I prefer to as well, but I'm just saying there's some people that want to travel on a budget or something. Yeah. Sometimes Airbnbs are cheaper. Yeah, I mean, on a budget, it's probably better, um, but I don't, I, I don't know. I talked to a lot of Airbnb guys, and they're like basically buying mansions. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. That's ridiculous. And I I've know they're that. not going to cash flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've seen that. I've seen that. That's well, that's ridiculous. Like, bro, why not just rent like the penthouse at the Ritz Carlton and yeah. you have room service yeah. and you have everything there. You have, have a whole buffet. Yeah. Have a pool, have a spa. Yeah. You have yeah. you have the the room cleaners and all of that yeah. kind of things. You have the little mini bar. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know about it long term. I'm not hating on it. I'm just saying you just gotta be careful. You yeah. can't just fall in love with those projections. There's a lot of websites now that tell you like an an average of what they think it's gonna profit you on Airbnb. Air DNA. I've seen that one. Yeah, there's a couple other there's ones. a few other ones. Yeah. The, the other thing with Airbnb that a lot of people don't understand is that they believe that it's passive, right? But it really isn't. 
like you said, it's it's kind of a job, yeah, right? You have job. to take care of cleaning the apartment or the hotel or, or the house afterwards. You have to take care of, you know, uh, providing new uh, towels, new bed sheets to the person, uh, to the toilet paper, toilet paper, right? You have to be able to keep all that stuff in stock. You have to be able to have a person check in, check out, give them the keys, or if you don't have a lockbox, right? You have to have a whole system and you, you could make it passive, if you scale it right, if you have a Airbnb manager, which a lot of people do, yeah, which uh, is pretty sweet. That yeah, that, that that's that's different though. But a lot of people that are getting into like, oh, I'm gonna buy one one property and put it on Airbnb. You're gonna be working a lot more than you think. Let me tell you. Yeah, I, I have yeah, I have like like the the apartment I bought. I have it on Airbnb right now. But what I realized, I, I was having it on short term. Like people were running it out for weeks or two weeks, and I said this is extremely annoying. So I said like the minimum rent that you can have is at least a month. So you can rent on a month to month basis. And, uh, you know, I've had people that I, I just signed a six month lease right now with somebody that found me on Airbnb. Nice. nice. So, I mean, uh, th there's benefits to it, but there's also cons to it, but I just think it's, it, it's different, but yeah. I see where you're going, right? With, with people traveling less, it's, it's less luxurious to just go and get an Airbnb property and be able to get the, s the cash flows you were getting last year. Yeah. Yeah. There's pros and cons to everything, but uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people getting into Airbnb investing only see the pros, yeah. you know, cause you're buying a really good looking property in most cases and you think you can make a ton of money, which isn't the case, but there's, there's a lot more maintenance than they see. Like if your toilet gets clogged, like yeah. who do they call? And the guy's staying there right now, like for this weekend or something, you're not, you can't wait till Monday to send the, the yeah. plumber yeah. out. Yeah. You have to send them right there and then. And then also for Airbnbs, for condos, I'm really opposed to it just because the condo associations could change their governing laws at any yeah. point. Yeah. Like you could have bought that condo with the hopes and dreams of Airbnb at the day you close on it. They say no more Airbnbs here, no more short term rentals. Yeah. Yeah. So you're at their mercy. And, and we've seen that a lot, right? In, in, in the beach, it's happened in uh, Miami Beach, it's happened downtown a lot where people bought these apartments or these condos at crazy valuations just because they had the hope of renting it on Airbnb. And then all of a sudden, four months later, no more Airbnb allowed. Yep. Now what? You can rent it out for maybe 60% of what you were getting on Airbnb. And now you're negative couple hundred bucks a month. Negative in cash flow. Sometimes. Negative thousands sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's risky in yeah. certain ways. Yeah. I, I do think though, like if you could buy the property and you're in a cash flow on a 12 month lease and you just want to experiment with Airbnb, go for it. Do yeah. it. Make the money yeah. while you can. As yeah. long as if you have to turn it into a 12 month lease, you're still going to, Break even at yeah, least. Yeah. Or in in certain areas that are very, I could see where Airbnb would work on certain areas that are very like touristy where you see, you, you don't think, like for example, like in Vegas, maybe a Airbnb in Vegas where it doesn't matter, tourism there is never going to stop. Yeah, We're like always Disney World traveling. Too, also. Disney World, like something yeah. there, you're not going to see traveling stop there no matter what. Yeah, you're right? not. So, so areas like that, I think it's specific to the area you're in. Um, I don't know. I just have always thought I like hotels better. You know, get the rewards. Yeah, I like hotels better, 100. <laughs> I like staying in hotels but, better. But for big groups, also. Yeah, big good. groups. Yeah, if you're gonna get like a like, I would love. I would rather get a cabin if I'm gonna go like to ski or snowboard yeah. Colorado with a big group. Yeah, I'd rather room. get an Airbnb on a big cabin. Yeah. Cabin. We all go together instead of all of us getting separate rooms in a hotel, right? Yeah. yeah. Or getting a, you know, if you're going to Europe or something, getting if you're going with a big group, it makes sense. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you though, let's say there is a market crash. Uh, how would you prepare for a market crash in real estate? What What are the steps that you would take to just prepare yourself? And what are the actions you would also take during the market crash to be able to expand quicker after? Yeah. Being an investor in real estate at all times, you should be prepared for a hiccup in the market. And the way 
to be prepared for that is to have more reserves. You know, you, you don't want to be running dry. Um, everyone has a different formula to it. A good number, I think, is probably having at least three months worth of mortgages and reserves. You know, more or less, depending on how many properties you have, right? Because there's not ever, if you have 100 properties, there's never going to be a month that, only, that none of your 100 tenants pay you. Yeah. You know, so preparing for that is just really just having more money. Um, and also having more money is going to be good for you in a market crash because you're able to buy more properties. Yeah. Uh, as of recently, uh, really a few people told me like, oh, I'm waiting for the recession to buy. Um, a lot of people started telling me that. So I turned on like all my marketing campaigns. I'm running all kinds of ads. Uh, I got a billboard saying we buy homes for cash. So I'm going the opposite direction, trying to buy more homes. Like yeah. people are saying, oh no, I'm going to wait to buy. I'm trying to start the market right now to buy a lot more homes. You're taking the contrarian point of view. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, there's even like point of views that are like whatever everyone else is doing, just do the opposite. You'll probably you can end make up some doing money. pretty good. I can, I can <laughs> see that, you know. The thing is, people move in, uh, when people do things, the majority of things, especially in investing, it's the masses all do them at the same time. And then like everybody, and, and it's just human psychology, right? If I start making money on something, right? And I go and tell you I'm making money and you don't listen to me. And then the next week I told you, I just made more money. You're eventually probably going to give in and you're going to start doing the same exact investment that I'm doing. Probably six months later. Six months later, maybe. And then that's when everybody at the same time is doing it. Yeah. And then the opposite happens at the, at the bottom, right? If I see my investment sell, like go down and I see it continue go down, I'm probably going to sell out of fear and everybody's going to do it at the same time. Yeah. So then the people that are doing the complete opposite, right? When everybody is fearful, they're being greedy and purchasing everything that they can. And when everybody's being greedy, they're selling everything at crazy valuations to the greedy people. Then they're most likely going to make money. There, there's a saying that uh, Ray Dalio says also that says uh, you don't have to be with the crowd. Uh, but when you go against the crowd, you have to be right, though. And, and what that means also is, you know, like there's certain times that the crowd is right. Which can happen but the majority of the time you'll make money just going against the crowd whatever the crowd's doing i think so i think it's a cool theory yeah <laughs> yeah um so yeah I, I think it's always a good time to buy real estate i i really don't even think the market's gonna crash i yeah. just thought about it like oh less people are interested in buying because they think something's gonna happen i don't think that's true um there's a lot of institutional investors that own properties i think like i don't know this that's real or not but i think blackstone owns like seven percent of all houses yeah, that's, I don't that's know if crazy. You've seen that, I saw I saw in an article, I, I don't remember exactly if it was one in every six oh, that's what it or was. seven, that one in every six houses today, single family homes, which before were not asset classes, are being purchased by institutional investors. Okay, that's that's, that's what ridiculous. The stat was, yeah. 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 I mean, those it's people crazy. are not gonna default on their mortgages. Yeah. And on top of that, there's people like me, there's people a lot bigger than me also 100%. that have the pre foreclosure list and we're attacking them every day. Like, I don't call them and say, hey, you're losing your home, sell it to me, but I'm, I'm making them offers every day. So before they even hit foreclosure, before they even hit the market again after the bank takes it back, someone else is probably going to come and buy it. Yeah. Because people look at real estate a lot differently now than they did back in 2008. Like, everyone wants to own real estate because they see it goes up, they see it cash flows. And not only that, I mean, with the rates going up, and I think rents will even keep getting more expensive because people yeah. less people could afford to buy. Um a lot more people are getting squeezed out by their landlords. A lot of their money is going into the landlord's pocket, not into their own pocket. So they don't have enough money to put even the three and a half percent down payment. Yeah, I saw the, the rents are crazy right now, man. You Absolutely. saw the I sent you the 
the I saw an article earlier that said Miami like the last month it went up even more in rents. I'm like, how much more is this gonna continue going up? It's crazy. And people are asking for people that had like twelve month leases at three thousand five hundred are all of a sudden getting their tenants telling them, you know, I can't give you this property for three thousand five hundred. If you want to renew the lease, you're gonna have to pay five thousand dollars now. Yeah. All of a sudden they're gonna have to pay a thousand five hundred dollars more or they're gonna have to move out of the of the condo or the, wherever they're at. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to be cheaper anywhere else unless they're going to yeah. downgrade significantly. Exactly. You know? Like maybe leave Miami. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> or, crazy. Or, or go to the suburb or go to, you know, somewhere on the outskirts. Yeah, I really think, though, the best move to make for yourself is to buy. Yeah. You know, like a situation I run, run into a lot is like a young client. They might still even live at home with their parents. You know, they have good money saved up. Uh, let's, let's call it $40,000 saved up. With that amount of money, you could buy a property. You know, yeah. buying let's say the property is four hundred thousand, you're putting ten percent down there. Yeah, ten percent. Yeah, it's ten percent. But let's say you only put five percent down, yeah. which is a good down payment. You're only coming in with twenty thousand um, dollars. But instead, they say no. The rates are high. The prices are high. They rent for a year. They're renting a property for three thousand a month. Yeah. Twelve months go by. They just lost that. They lost. They paid the landlord thirty six thousand dollars. Not only that, they have these new living expenses. You know, they have to pay for their car, their food, their electric, everything. Things they didn't even calculate before. Before you know it, they can never even buy again. Yeah, all their money's going to the landlord. One hundred percent. I feel because there's certain people out there that say, you know, like it's better to rent than buy. But <laughs> when I see these people say this, I'm like, for you, it's better to rent than buy because you're. Filthy rich, yeah. <laughs> like you're filthy rich that it doesn't hurt you, Grant right? Grant Cardone always you, says that. Exactly, shit. like Grant Cardone, or I've seen other people saying, like you know, like if you're buying a house, you're stuck in this place, and you're this, and you're that, and now you have to pay this maintenance on this property, you have to pay all these expenses, and, and it's a lot more than what you think. It's better to actually rent than buy. That's completely wrong for the majority of people. For filthy rich people, yes, it gives you mobility, right? I can rent here if I want to move to California next month, or if I want to travel, I don't have to be stuck paying a mortgage, but I have the ability and money. To do that, yeah, yeah, it's not like bro. The people that say that these these super rich guys, bro, I guarantee you, they're paying their landlords like fifty thousand a month for these yeah. places, at least fifty thousand dollars a month for these yeah. mansions. Like, yeah, it's a different scenario. But I really think for like the, the average person or most people, it's better it's to buy. Better to buy. Like yeah. with that scenario right there, sure. it's really sad. But bro, those people, like, let's say they didn't have kids before. Maybe now they have kids. It's harder to catch up yeah. and to save up and put that yeah. money away. So I really think it's about buying now. Um, a lot of people are talking about now the the U.S. basically becoming a renter nation, which is like yeah. like Europe, um, yeah, yeah. Like New York City yeah. is also similar to that. That there's a one percent that owns all the real estate; the rest of people just rent it. That would be good for you, though. That would be good for me. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, <laughs> but I'm not selfish. I'm <laughs> trying to help trying everyone to do. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the best way. And another thing you also have to take into account is when you get a mortgage, you're either getting it normally for thirty years, yeah. fifteen years, sometimes that mortgage payment is staying the same for 15, 30 years, yeah. right? When you're renting, rents are going to continue going up, They are, right? And another thing you also have to take into account with inflation is that debt, inflation benefits that debt, right? That interest that if you're paying a fixed interest on that payment every single year, essentially that interest is worth less and less and less as the years go by because of inflation. Inflation benefits people that have loans and use the loans, yeah. right? So, so it's just for the average person, it's beneficial to purchase a house and live in the house. You have so many benefits. You have the appreciation on the home, which we talked about, right? Which is the way that the majority of people become real uh, millionaires. You have uh, the fixed price that you're paying monthly. And you have a your that fixed price that you're also paying monthly is not just disappearing. It's 
going, part of it is going to your principal, which is just adding to your net worth and your assets. It is, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. You can also customize it as you please. You exactly. know, it feels at home. It, it makes you feel at home. I really think it's a no-brainer for people that um, if they're in between, if they can qualify to purchase the property, I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Purchase the property, don't rent, because all your money is going to go to the landlord. Um, you know, the rents the rents right now are higher than mortgages. <laughs> like yeah. before, it used to be the opposite. So before, it was a harder sale. But now, rents are literally higher than if you were to buy that same property with the mortgage with 5% down even. Yeah, it's crazy. That's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Would you say that the majority of people don't purchase a house because they don't think that they can? Because they don't know all these, uh, all the ways that they can, all the type of loans that they can get, right? Because I feel a lot of people don't, like, they have the money to purchase a house, but they just don't know that they can, right? They think, like, a lot of people will think that they might have to put more down. They, they don't have the ability to put 3.5 or 5% down. Yeah, a lot of people think that they, they, only, they have to buy a house with 20% down, which is, I'm, I'm trying to tell everyone that you could do 3.5% down, 5% down. If you're in a rural area, you could do 0% down, yeah. which is a USDA loan. Yeah. So there, there's options for everyone. Um, I, but yeah, I, I think you're right. A lot of people don't know about it, but they should know. They should look into the numbers behind it. I mean, the thing is, a lot of people are also in their ears, like their mom and dad telling them, oh, that property now for 500000 when I bought here in 1998, it was only $100,000. <laughs> 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 you know? Yeah. And so there's also the, like four times more money than 1998 <laughs> today out of yes. the money supply. Yeah. yeah. I, I, like a lot of people got like their first job and their starting salary is like $80,000. Their, yeah, their yeah. parents' starting salary was probably $30,000. Yeah. yeah it was different. And yeah, I'll, yeah, also. And like the rates and stuff, they talk about the rates and how the rates were so cheap. But I, my opinion is that the rates were fictitiously low before. Like, the rates are still cheap historically. Yeah, right they, now they are. Yeah, like the, the, the thing is, we're we're used to seeing these rates that we saw for the last eight years. For the last eight years, but before that, there was times uh, rates were seven percent, six percent, even at times what twenty percent, right? Yeah, back, back in, in the, the day. Yeah. Back in the day, so I think historically the rates were like six percent. Historically, like in the in the U.S., I'm not I, sure. I think it's a little bit higher. Yeah. A little bit higher. So yeah, what, I think seven? it's like seven, eight. Yeah, seven, eight. Okay, yeah. So you see, we're at what, like five, six right now. Yeah, we're in the fives and sixes. Yeah. Fives and sixes. So yeah. we're still low compared yeah. historically, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we are still low. And like, let's say in your mind, you think they could go cheaper, just do a refinance. You yeah. know, do a rate interim refinance, change your rate, cost you nothing to do a rate interim refinance if you're lowering the rate. If you, you could also cash out money as well. Yeah. Let me. Um, this is one thing I actually wanted to get into, and it's uh. In, in the stock world, it happens a lot. In the business world, it happens a lot. And it's, for example, uh, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, they have their entire net worth in the stocks that they own, right? In the stocks that they founded. So, for example, Jeff Bezos in Amazon. 99% of his net worth is in Amazon. Elon Musk in Tesla and SpaceX. Mark Zuckerberg in Facebook. And one of the ways that they avoid paying taxes uh, legally is they never sell their stock. They never sell these businesses because if they do, they have to pay capital gains in it. You, we don't have the benefit in, in the business world or in stocks to get a 1031 exchange, right? To just sell a stock and buy another one and not have to pay capital gains. So what these people actually do to be able to use those stocks to purchase whatever they want, if they want to purchase a new yacht, I don't know if you saw Jeff Bezos was building this like $500 million yacht. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so so um, what they do is they get loans that are backed buy their stocks. Yeah. These are called security-backed line of credits. So it makes a lot of sense, right? If you're getting a security-backed line of credit, you're getting a very low interest rate and you can use it to purchase whatever you want. And all you have to do is pay the interest of it monthly. 
So they do this, and as their stocks continue to go up in the long run, they just pay off their loans back, and they, they continue getting it like that, and they never have to pay taxes. They always defer it. So in real estate, I know there's uh, maybe talk to me about some of those tactics, maybe like a line of credit. Or so the most common way to do that in real estate, uh, let's talk about it with like an investment property. Let's say you bought the property for $100,000. Uh, now it's worth $500,000. You could do what's called a cash out refinance on it. So they give you 80%, sometimes even up to 85% of what the property is worth, and you get a, lo a new loan for that amount. It pays off your old loan, and then you get a new loan for that amount. That's a great way to get some of the money back for your real estate without having to sell the asset itself. You know, you just got to yep. pay the new loan. You got to make sure it cash flows. For your primary home, you could do what's called the HELOC, which is the home equity line of credit, which is basically like a credit card against your property. Uh, usually goes up to 80% loan to value ratio on that as well. That's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. So when you get the HELOC, uh, if you get like a line of credit, for example, or I don't know if you could do it with a cash refi. I don't think you could do it with a cash refi. But for the HELOC, for example, that interest that you're ha having to pay is is just another expense that you could also write off. Yeah. So you're, you could use that money for everything. You don't have to pay taxes on the money you take out. And then you can write the interest off yeah. in your taxes as well. Yeah. So uh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Going back to that, like I had a property, probably one of the best deals I've ever done, um, which was a triplex that we bought for $145,000. Um, we had to put like $10,000 of work in it. We, the rent before were, it was two units were rented for 650. The other, the front unit was rented for 850. We got that property, we rented it out, ended up renting it out total for $2,500. Um, and then like a year later, we got it reappraised It appraised for $215,000. What? And yeah, bro. That's crazy. And we pulled out 80% of that to pay off our first loan and we cashed out money. Yeah. The, the rates at that time worked out. So the payment stayed about the same. Um, and then I called my accountant. I'm like, hey, I got this loan for this amount. Do I have to pay taxes on it? Because I just made this amount of money. He was like, no, you don't. Because it's a loan. Yeah, you just took debt it. out about yeah. it. You just take the debt out and that was it. You didn't have to, you didn't have yeah. to sell the property. You don't have to pay taxes on it. I was, my mind was just yeah, it's, crazy. It's shook because you can use that money to, like, you could use that money to buy anything you want. So you can go out and buy a Ferrari with that money or whatever car you want or whatever you want to buy with it. But you could also use that money that you take out in debt to purchase a new yep. property and just continue compounding and growing your things. And now you could do it with that property. You could also get a HELOC if, if it appraises, yeah. if, it, if it appreciates, right? So you can continue doing that. And that's the, that's what the rich do. Yeah, yeah, they just keep it going. And when I saw that, like when it, like I knew about it, you know, like I, yeah. I've always been in real estate, I knew about it. But when it actually happened to me, I'm like, so someone just paid me an extra $40,000 for me to keep my own property, rent it out, and I don't have to pay taxes. Yeah. Like, wow, <laughs> this is insane. That's, that's beautiful, man. That's awesome. But with those HELOCs, though, that's how a lot of people get started buying real estate, like their primary home. They'll call their bank. They'll, they'll get a line of credit against it. They use that money for the down payment of another property, which is legal. Yeah. You could do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've seen people use the the HELOC to, to start their own business, yeah, to start a business, too. right? To start a venture, to keep themselves, even if they're in a bad shape they could use that heloc for anything for yeah, anything they can even use that heloc for to, to, to purchase a boat if they want right if they say oh, i want to purchase myself a new boat i'm good financially i can pay the heloc off and heloc off in six months like with the income that i have now i can get the heloc purchase a boat now and basically finance it six months yeah yeah or even pay off credit card debt people yeah. people do cash out refis or helocs to pay off credit card debt because the rates are higher now so you're talking yeah. about five six on a 30-year fixed but the credit card, well, I mean, what do you pay, Max? Like 22% yeah. or 17, whatever the hell it yeah. is. You know, and, and one of the things that I saw, I saw this one time and it just, 
it like hit something in my mind. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, why have I not done this yet? Right. And I, I'm doing it with my stock portfolio now. And it's, let's say you're going to go out and purchase a car, right? Let's say you want to purchase a Lamborghini. Let's put it like this. Let's say you want to purchase a Lamborghini. That's you, you have the money to purchase a Lamborghini or it costs you $200,000. Put it $200,000 flat. I can go and purchase that Lamborghini and now I have to get it a six-year loan if I want to get a car loan on it, right? Uh, auto loan. I have to get a six-year loan or let's say it's a six-year loan and let's say it's 5% interest. So that 5% interest is $10,000 a year that I have to pay in interest, right? And now you have to get the $200,000, divide that by six. I have to pay an extra $33,333 in principal plus $10,000 a year. So $43,333 now you got to divide that by 12 and your monthly payment is going to be $3,611 for that $200,000 car that I have to pay, right? If I were to go get, if I have a big stock portfolio of a million dollars and I want to take $200,000 out of that portfolio, right? Without selling the shares, obviously. Without selling the shares, just get a securities back line of credit on those stocks. This is what I have to do. I take out the $200,000. And I would just have to pay the same 5% or probably even lower because sometimes the auto loans have higher interest rates than actually getting a HELOC or a yeah, yeah. security back. The, the, the interest rate yeah. might be lower, but let's keep it at 5%. So that 5% would be $10,000. So $10,000 divided by 12. I would only have to pay $833 a month compared to 3000 something in interest. And I don't have to pay the principal back ever if I don't want to. Yeah. As long as my stocks don't crash right and go down that that i'm forced to pay i could keep it like that and i don't have to pay the interest back like there's no like set time frame is there like a, a maximum loan to value ratio on yeah that? in stocks it, it depends on on the brokerage but you can get up to normally it's up to i think 70 percent okay uh some people go up to 70 percent, but i would recommend anybody don't go above 30 percent. keep it low if you're going to do this strategy uh, the majority of times with stocks, you do have to have a higher amount in, in, in equity in stocks. So, for example, you have to have at least, uh, I think, the lowest that that I've seen. Don't quote me on this. I might be wrong. But the lowest I've seen is like 50000 or $25,000 you have to have at least in stocks to be able to take something out. But the majority of brokerages are at least like 200000 100000 to even take anything out. That's kind of like a hack if you think about yeah, it. Like, let's say hack. you opened up an, a brokerage account. You just parked $50,000 in what there I'm saying. and bought like... I don't know something that doesn't move. Yeah, like the S and P. That's that's, that's something that's was, super stable. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm saying. You can buy Walmart stock. Yeah. that basically has a a beta lower than one, which that means that it moves less. Like if the S and P 500 moves down five percent, Walmart will move down three percent. So it's less volatile than the S and P 500 in total, right? You can buy stocks like that that are very volatile. And this is the crazy thing. This is a hack. You can get a stock that has a dividend that has. Wow. That the dividend is higher than the interest rate today. You can take out $200,000, let's say, or, or whatever the, the, the loan to value is. You take that money out and the dividend covers your interest payment. So now you're just taking that out. You don't have to pay absolutely anything. And you can get the Lamborghini for free in that case. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, so that, that is yeah. wild. And, and I mean, you're borrowing the money. Can you write that? Like, can you, you write can that write it? Yeah, you write off the interest 100%. Also, the same way that you write it off in a HELOC, you write it down in a, you write it off in a security back uh, line of credit. That's right off the interest. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Once I learned that, I'm like, it changed my life. I'm like, this is, what am I doing? That is like, crazy. How am I, like, 
I already have a good amount there. I'm probably going to take out a security-backed line of credit. I'm not going to go buy a Lamborghini or a Ferrari with it, but I'm going to go buy another property with it, or I'm going to buy another business. I've been buying. I just closed a deal last week on a private business. I just bought a private business. I'm under contract for another one. And I could use that stock money. My my portfolio right now is not that volatile. I can use it to, to go purchase another business, and I don't have to sell any of my stocks. So it's crazy. Now, that business is producing me more cash flow. Yeah. I could use that cash flow to pay back the loan and do it all over again. And Rinse and repeat. That that's interesting. What what's the difference for for that kind of loan and like using margin? Okay, a hundred percent different. Why? A margin loan is a it's a loan that you get directly from your brokerage in that account to purchase stock. You can only use that margin to purchase uh liquid assets that the brokerage sells. So for example, stocks or bonds or options, you could use that margin for that. Right? But you can get a margin call. Uh, and there's a certain amount of margin you can borrow. And what happens is once you use that margin to purchase that, it leverages up your investment, which it, it gives you these levels that the, the investment, uh, the, the brokerage themselves, they can essentially give you a margin call. They could sell all your securities at once, okay. right? Which I don't recommend using margin to anybody. With a security-backed line of credit, with a line of credit, right? I could use that money for anything outside of stocks. Excellent. It doesn't just have to be in that portfolio. I take that 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 twenty percent uh, out, right, and I can use that to buy a house, buy a car, anything, anything, absolutely anything. That is wild. And it's a lot less riskier than the margin because all I have to pay is the interest. And if the stocks crash, I'm not using them to buy stocks. So th this is why. Well, can you use them to buy stocks? Can you, you use those proceeds to buy stocks if you really wanted to? I guess you could put it in another brokerage account or you can, yeah, because it wouldn't make sense if you put them back into the same brokerage account. I mean, I'm, pr I'm pretty sure that could be illegal. I don't even know where I'm getting <laughs> at here, but it could be it could be not allowed by the brokerages. But if you put it back into that brokerage account, you're essentially paying back your loan, so it doesn't make sense. But if you, if you get that 20% yeah. out and you put it into another brokerage account, you're avoiding margin there. What happens with margin is this. This is the risk with margin compared to the security-backed line of credit. Let's say I have $100,000 in my stocks, right? And I take out $50,000 in a security-backed line of credit, right? I only still have $100,000 worth of stock in that account. So if my stocks crash 10%, it only, it only goes down, my portfolio only goes down 10%. doesn't matter that I took out the loan because I'm using the loan for something completely different. If I use that $50,000 in margin, this is what happens, and I use it to purchase stock, I have $150,000 worth of stocks, but I only have $100,000 worth of equity in that account. So if the stocks crash 10%, my portfolio is actually crashing 15%. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So the, the downfall is way faster and you're going to get killed way faster with margin. With the security backed line of credit, it's pretty safe if you know what you're doing and you're in stable things, you're in very stable things. And if you, especially if you're using the proceeds from the line of credit to fun new assets that are going to produce your cash flow it's just beneficial. Yeah, I, I guess it's not made to like go and buy a lambo you know it's yeah. probably made to like yeah. invest it or do it, something good. it could be it could be like if you have a like that's what bezos and these guys oh, do I right guess, they yeah. buy their houses but they take out maybe like 500 million dollars off of a hundred billion dollars that they yeah. have to go purchase whatever they want at that yeah, point so you know they're chilling at that they're point. chilling at that point it's like oh 500 so that, million what's that that is an incredible tool though they should yeah. get a nickname like everyone knows about heloc yeah 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 S block, the S block. Yeah, I guess. maybe it's called the S block. I've seen it as an SB log. That's why. I, oh, SB uh, log. Yeah. Okay. But no, no, no S block. Yeah, yeah. We can have a few words from the sponsor, and then we'll get back right to you. Our sponsor for today is Polar's Bottles. You can go to their website, buy a bottle at polarsbottles.com. P O L E R C E B 
B-O-T-T-L-E-S.com. They are vacuum-insulated bottles that keep your drink cold for more than 24 hours or keep your drink hot for more than 12 hours. I use it every single day for my coffee. keeps it burning hot to the tip just how you want it. If you're walking down the beach or you're going to the beach for a Saturday, it'll keep a margarita cold as well. So go out there and check them out. And they're also 33 to 50% lower priced than the competition. If you use the code PODCAST10, you'll get 10% off your first order. So Julian, tell me a little bit. I know that you got into real estate because you wanted to uh, obviously make some money and you also wanted to help people buy houses and you just liked the real estate market in general. But how does a realtor or a broker get paid? Can you break that down for us? Yeah, definitely. So uh, what happens is is that when someone goes to sell their property, they sign an agreement with the listing agent or really the listing brokerage. So the listing agent themselves don't get paid, the brokerage gets paid. So let's say that listing agent works for Keller Williams, at the end of the transaction, once it's closed, Keller Williams gets paid. Uh, typically, the listing broker agrees somewhere at 6%, 5%, sometimes even down to 4% now, because we're getting cheaper. Um, after the deal's closed, the check is written to Keller Williams for that amount. But let's say someone comes in and brings a buyer, another, it's called the cooperating broker, brings a buyer, Keller Williams and that cooperating broker split the check, or they split whatever it is. So if it's a $300,000 property, they agreed on 6%. Uh, the total commission is eighteen thousand dollars. Nine thousand goes to each of of the brokers. Okay. After that, then the realtors have a split with their brokerage. Sometimes that splits fifty percent. Sometimes it's seventy five. Sometimes it's ninety percent. Sometimes it's even a hundred percent of of the money the brokerage is paid. Then it's reimbursed back to that realtor. Okay. So the brokerage get gets paid first, then the realtor. And normally, on average, what would you say a realtor like would get paid three percent, right? Be it's probably around 3%. Now, the average is like 2.5, 2.75. Okay. Yeah, sometimes the listing agents sell the whole thing themselves as well. Um, but then you, you got to take into account how much the broker is going to take. And then a big problem for new realtors is also taxes at the end of the year. Like, especially if they came from like another job, like a W 2 job that they did talk that they deduct the taxes from their paycheck already, it could be a big surprise. You know, if you made if you sold a hundred thousand dollars worth of commissions, and at the end of the year, you're like, Wow, you got to pay. You're, yeah. you're in the twenty. What is that like the twenty five percent bracket or thirty percent bracket? Yeah, it's a big chunk of money. You got to write to the IRS a check at the yeah. end of the year for thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, you're not on a W two there. You don't got. You have to worry about taxes there. A lot of people get shocked. Yeah. Uh, when you you've had a pretty successful journey already at a young age in real estate, right? You started a as a realtor, then you opened up your own brokerage, then you opened up your own real estate fund. You purchased properties now yourself and your fund purchase properties, and now you also uh, underwrite the loans. So for a young, ambitious person that wants to get started in real estate, maybe wants to start their route as a realtor and wants to also become a real estate investor, what are some advice or a couple of things that you can tell them so they can get started and maybe skip ahead and become more successful quicker? The first thing I would do is talk to someone around you that is actually in the real estate business, not that just has a realtor license, because everyone in Miami has a realtor license, you know, someone that's actually in the business. See how it works, see if you even like it, because a lot of people just, they can't go a few months without getting paid. That's just how yeah. real estate works, you know? Especially when you first start, you might not get your first, you could be working every day from nine to five, doing a bunch of hours, and you might not get your first check for three months. Yeah. You know, it's just how it works in the real estate business. So I would talk to them, get some advice from them, see if you even like it. Um, after that, let's say you decide that you want to get into real estate, I would just just start it already. Like a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to wait till November to get my license. They're going to wait till this date to do it. I would say just start it. 
um, you know, start marketing, start talking to everyone ever about real estate, pick a really good broker, someone that you could trust, someone that answers your call, someone that can give you advice. Um, that's what I tell all the realtors that work with me, you know, like, even if you don't know a question, pretend that, you know, and just ask me later and we'll figure it out later together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, um, what, cause realtors essentially you're salespeople, right? We are. Yeah. Y you're selling houses, right? Commission so only. Yeah. Commission only. So, right. You're getting paid only commission. And so how, what would you say makes a great realtor, right? What qualities does a great realtor have? When you look for realtors to join your brokerage, because you do have a brokerage, what qualities do you look for? A hustler. A hustler. Just a hustler. Like any, I, th I think anyone could do real estate. Um, they just have to hustle. You know, you have to, you have to get after it. You have to have a thick skin because a lot of people are going to tell you no, but you just have to go through enough no's to get a yes. Yeah you got to figure out what that number is. Maybe you go through 10 no's and get one yes. That's a pretty good ratio, you know? Just keep reaching out. You know, I, I saw this thing really early on in my career that it was like after a certain amount of no's, I got a yes. So I'm excited to hear no. Because yeah. I know that yes is coming sooner. Yeah. Whether it's do you want to sell your house? Are you looking to buy a house? Something. So I, th I think real estate, the best quality is to be a hustler. It's not about being smart. It's not about being anything else. It's just about being hardworking and then putting it together after. You have to have, you know, some leadership in it. You know, talk to your broker, get some advice from him. Like, you can't just be a hustler and do crazy stuff. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Real estate is really regulated, but it's just about being on your phone at all hours, yeah. being willing to work Picking weekends. Up the phone. Yeah, you got to pick up that phone. A lot of people don't like up. taking calls. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people. You know, I have a lot of friends, which you probably do as well, right? That they're like, you know, I'm going to get started in real estate, yeah. become a millionaire in a year. I'm going to buy a couple properties. I'm, I'm starting as a realtor. I'm going to sell five properties in the next five months. And they have this whole delusion of how easy they think it is. And then uh, they come around maybe three, four months later and I go, hey, how's the whole realtor thing going? And they're like, oh, well, I realize it's not for me. Yeah. And I'm like, but what happened? And they're like, you know, it's you have to have a certain type of personality. You have to have be the certain type of person. And I'm like, well, were, were you calling people? What went wrong? And they're like, well, not really. Like, you know, I just didn't have anybody to call. <laughs> and I'm like, well, because you weren't hustling enough. The, the thing that people people think, I feel a lot of people think, and that's why a lot of people have their realtor license. Like you said, all Miami has a realtor license because yep. the majority of people think it's going to be easy. They, they think it's just going to be like a walk in the park. And they, they get to the situation where now they're like, I'm not going to be able to make money unless I work my ass off. I'm going to have to work harder than a nine to five to yep. be able to make money here, especially starting off, right? Once you become successful and you start getting all these deals, you're not going to have to work as much, even though you, you, you are, but you're going to get the deals, whether you're working all that time that you were in the beginning or not, yeah, right? Yeah. The deals are going to come to you because you're yep. more known, right? It's word of mouth. But in the very beginning, you're going to have to work maybe 80, a hundred hours a week sometimes. Easily. I still do that right now. Yeah. You know, I easily like, Oh, sometimes you call me, it's 8 o'clock at night, I'm still in front of my computer. Yeah, it's yeah. 9 o'clock at night, I'm still in front of my computer. That's why I use you as my brokerage and my realtor sure. whenever I want to buy it. Because, you know, you know, one thing I value is my time and, you know, somebody that I can give you a call. You you can answer me very quickly. You can say, here, uh, I'm looking for properties in this area. And in less than an hour, I get a whole report of all the properties yeah. that I was looking for. And I'm like, why am I going to go call a realtor that's like, yeah, yeah, for sure, I'll send them to you. And then I get them like four days later. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Right? So it's... Yeah, you, you gotta be willing to put put in the time and the effort. It's it's definitely a hard business. It's not easy. Everyone gets a license because they see the property worth a million dollars. Oh, if I sell that property, I make thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you could do that, <laughs> but like, who do you have that's gonna buy right now? Who do you have that's gonna trust you? You also have to be really trustworthy and build yeah. relationships with build relationships with clients and whatnot. A hundred percent. So, regarding real estate crashing, uh, one of the things that 
we've been talking about one of the things that we th- we talked about last episode which we said might make real estate prices maybe correct a little bit was interest rates right yep. so regarding interest rates what do you think about the economy and what's going on right now so in in the small world that i live in which is the real estate world i i thought that it was in a slow ad- i thought prices were going to come down a little bit um, I think prices are coming down, but not values. There's there's a distinct difference yeah. between that. You know, you could ask whatever you want. You could put whatever price you want on anything, but the values itself aren't going down. I think there's just too much buying power right now in the real estate world. There's not enough supply. Um, I, I saw something that said for us to get into some kind of crash, they have to build three times the supply. Wow. And they're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have like the lowest amount of building starts that we've ever had just because construction costs are insane. There's inflation as well, right? Lumber prices going yeah. up like crazy in the last couple of years, everything. Yeah, and builders, even though they're Lennar Homes, Geo yeah. Homes, they're still borrowing money to build. Yeah. They yeah. don't have billions of dollars sitting in their bank account. No one does. Yeah. They're still borrowing money and that, that's affecting them, affecting their margins. And they don't know if they could sell it at a feasible price after. So they're not building anymore. So where is the supply going to come from for the houses or for the values to go down? This prices is different. I don't see a lot of deals happening $100,000 over yeah. appraised value anymore. Yeah. I don't think that's happening. I think stuff is selling at appraised value, which is supposed to sell at appraised value. You know, So I, I yeah. think the real estate market is going to stay healthy, especially in South Florida, big metropolitan areas. I think it's going to keep appreciating uh, just at a slower rate. We're not going to see 100% increase in values, which really isn't healthy at the end of the day. Like yeah. It's good if you bought a few years ago, uh, but it's not healthy long term because if not, what's the house going to be worth in 10 years? A billion dollars? Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking yeah, crazy. Yeah, what do you what do you think about um, Biden and what he's been doing, President Biden, uh, and inflation right now, interest rates. You know, uh, we've been seeing him blame interest rates on Russia, on the gas companies themselves. So, what do you think about everything that's going on right now with our economy? Yeah, me me and you talk about Joe Biden and everything a lot, and um, at the end of the day, it's like. Inflation is high. I mean, everyone blames it on the interest rates. But look at the gas. The gas makes everything else more expensive because you got to yeah. transport everything that we're paying for. That's that's really what's attributing to the real or not to the to the real estate, to the inflation. Yeah. You know, if if you if you bring down gas prices, stop blaming it on Putin, open the pipeline, bring down gas prices, everything will get cheaper. Um, and I really don't even think interest rates have that much to do with inflation, honestly. Yeah. I don't think No, I don't, I don't think, think interest rates true. have yeah, it's not interest rates. You know, interest rates were, were having to catch up with inflation. But it, it could it, interest rates could slow down inflation just by, you know, essentially making the money supply, making money less, making the demand for money less, right? Lowering the demand for money, it just basically slows down inflation. But I don't think that's where the inflation is coming right now. It's coming a lot from supply shocks as well from, you know, China as well, from other countries, right? The exports are p- countries shutting down. COVID does have a point to play in it. But also, you know, just bad policies in this moment also have a terrible part to play into inflation. By looking at it like on the most simple form ever, interest rates going higher from three to six, basically. How does that make my loaf of bread cheaper? This is what happens. Inflation is not just inflation of products. That's a CPI. But inflation is also asset inflation, right? There's a lot of asset inflation. Real estate has inflation, right? That's why it's hedged against inflation. In general, because yeah, real estate going up or stocks going up are also inflationary. But if I can borrow, this is why. This is why it makes uh, inflation happen. If there is more money out there, people can use more money to purchase goods. 
if interest rates are lower, people can borrow more money at lower interest rates than they can at higher interest rates. So there's essentially more credit. So what happens? If I can use credit cards now at lower interest rates, I have a lower minimum payment, I could purchase more mo- more goods with credit cards. So there's a more a higher demand for goods. So I could buy, instead of buying three loaf of breads, if interest rates are at 3%, I might be o- only be able to buy two loaf of breads because I'm using credit. People don't just use money and what they earn. They also use credit, which is additional to that. That's so true. that's why that affects inflation in a way. Like, that's like a simple explanation, right? Uh, I'm not... That's, that's uh, true. Uh, but a known economist or anything, but th- just, that's 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 the reason that that would slow it down, right? Because it makes people able to borrow less money, so they're able to. I, have I, a, I think it's better. In th- I think it's better. It's better in theory, you know. Cause yeah, I, yeah. I really don't think that our raising the rates is going to make regular things cheaper, like yeah. especially in the short term. You know. Yeah. I think the solution is right in front of, of the current administration, which is open the pipeline. Yeah. You know, you'll make cost of goods cheaper. Across no, the board. I agree. I agree. Like even real estate could get cheaper because of it because building costs would go down. Oh, yeah. 100%. We'd have more supply. 100%. I, I think they just like the pain. I heard, I heard this really good quote from Ben Shapiro, which I'm going to repeat right now. I hope you like it. It's a recession. is. I've told you this Seen before. It. A I recession is when yes. your neighbor loses their job. A depression is when you lose your job. A recovery is when Joe Biden loses his job. <laughs> I've heard it. I've heard it. I've heard it. Yeah, I think, and, and I think it's you know a lot of Democrats and Republicans right now. I mean, Repu- Republicans were always against Biden, but a lot of Democrats are also realizing uh, that Biden is not doing a good job whatsoever. You're seeing a lot more people turning red, or a lot more people just not wanting Joe Biden as president. Even people that supported him before, I think he's not. He hasn't done the greatest job. He's done a terrible job with our economy especially with inflation especially with prices and i think it's something that we need changing right especially uh, that that's a huge part of the way we live right prices um who would you say uh because i know uh you voted for trump correct i did yeah okay so uh let's say right now there's a lot of rumors of ron DeSantis, uh the florida governor running for president right a lot of uh elon musk came out uh, a couple Elon Musk came out a couple weeks ago saying he would endorse Ron if he if he uh, ran for president. Joe Rogan the other day also said he would uh, endorse Ron if he would run for president. So I wanted to ask you, if Ron DeSantis ran for president in 2024 against Donald Trump, who would you pick? Uh, I'm a selfish man, so I'd probably pick Donald Trump. How come? I do think that DeSantis would probably make a better president. I think the country would be less divided. Yeah. Because uh, Trump did divide the country. I liked him and I liked everything he did, but he did divide the country. Yeah. Or really pe- people around him made it seem like he was dividing the country. Um, but I would pick Trump as the president just because I'd want DeSantis in Florida. Okay, I, I want to yeah. benefit from a that. A lot of people are saying that. You know, A lot of people that, that, that are in that ballpark of having to pick if it happens. They're like, you know, I don't want Ron to leave Florida. Yeah. I think, I think um, in my opinion, I think Ron is a better candidate. I think he's more composed in a way and i think he's i think trump's policies were good in many ways right his economic uh, policies right we had a great economy under trump but uh he's a very polarizing figure as well that that's that's what i would say i think the media has made him out media's, to be, yeah though. the media is more polarizing than trump itself like, yeah. than, than trump himself you know but um i i, I would just say i would pick I, I don't know who i would pick if i was in that situation i think ron has done a great job overall in florida as well so it's yeah, it's uh, tough, right? Yeah. It, I mean, it who, who would you pick? Would you want the nation? Would you pick the nation over the state that you live in? Yeah, I think I would pick the nation over the state I live in. Yeah, all right. Yeah. 
Because, uh, I mean, let's say, the thing is, let's say Ron would leave Florida. Who would replace him? I, I don't think. I think people in Florida are happy with the policies that have been in place. So I think wouldn't be somebody from completely different ideology. Yeah, I hope not. But, yeah. I mean, remember when Ron DeSantis won, he won by this much. Yeah, but th- that was before. His approval rating has just yeah. gone up since. You know, yeah, he's done a great job. He's kept Florida free. You know, uh, COVID helped them, yeah. Yeah, I think it has. And, and one of the things that, you know, because a lot of people are saying, oh, Ron might not run, right? Like, he, why would he run against Trump? But the thing that you have to understand in politics is his approval rating right now is extremely high. He's getting the most support from a lot of people. In politics, you don't know when that's going to end. Two years, everybody could change on you. Two years, there could be a scandal. Something could happen. Something could happen, and you you saw what happened to um, the the governor in New York. What was his name? Um, Cuomo, right? All of a sudden, he has to resign, and he's been a... And he was the man. He was the man before. Everybody loved him. Now, all of a sudden, like this. That's right. That's right. He's done. So, So it's like, this is your... Right now is the best time that you have to run for president. Yeah, that's true. Bro, so, and DeSantis is probably more popular right now than he's ever going to be just because of COVID. Exactly. Because when else do you really talk about a governor that much? Yeah. Like, we don't really know the governors. Yeah. We only knew about him because he said, fuck COVID. I don't yeah. care. We're yeah. opening up. Like, yeah. Florida's a free state. Yeah. That's 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 exactly that's why, why he got he, famous. So that's why he has that popularity right now. And I think it's his best chance to run. And I think, you know, politically, <laughs> politics is a dirty game. That's true. I, I never looked at it like that because I always thought that, like, Bro, Trump and DeSantis are probably friends, you know. Yeah. Like, I've, I've there's s- no friends in politics. Yeah, they're probably they're probably tough though. I thought they would come up with like some kind of agreement, like, oh, if you run, I'm not gonna run. But you know, probably not. I mean, because for both of these two guys, Trump and DeSantis, it's probably the best time for either of them to run. Yeah, because Trump's gonna be too old. Yeah, after Trump. The next four Trump years. has to run this like 2024. Yeah. If he's, he's ever he's gonna be president to. again, he's going he, to. He has to run. He's going to. He's going to. No matter. Like, and DeSantis he, is like. Like train is gonna run out of fuel exactly. if he waits. <laughs> exactly, it could or you know, it, like it's unknown right now. Is the train is leading there, and that's where he should go. W- what do you see? I saw, I saw a post here there of somebody uh, saying they were endorsing this or that there was um, some possibility of this happening, of a Trump DeSantis campaign. That would be DeSantis badass. as a VP. You know, yeah, that would yeah. be badass, but I think he. I, don't, I just want a Republican to win, honestly, just to open the pipeline. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> just to make inflation better. Yeah, I mean that would that would be really great, but I think it would just hog up too much. Like, yeah. if Trump's in office, please leave DeSantis alone. Stay yeah. in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. You know, I have a. I just hate that the left has gone like far, far, far left, man. Like it's it's terrible for our country, and uh, like it's just a lot of. That's why a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, are moving. Like becoming Republicans, right? Yeah. People that th- th- there was a lot of Democrats, like Bill Clinton. He was a good president economically as well. I don't, I don't think he was a, a bad president whatsoever. The economy under Bill uh, under Bill Clinton was a great economy, and he was more moderate, right? He was one of the actual like middle ground Democrats that would work with Republicans that w- cared about the economy, that wanted the economy to flourish. And now you don't see that at all with any Democrat now. Like they've all been pushed a lot more to the left and it's closer to socialism as it's ever been in this country. Yeah, because I think Elon Musk even talked about this. Like, the left just keeps moving more left, and the the Republicans have actually moved more to the middle. More to the middle, yes, like, 100%. Like, the, the liberals are, like, pushing them over. Yeah, exactly. And they're just, like, more in the middle, which I actually think is good. Because good. before yeah. all this, like, if, if I would have looked back 20 years, which, like, I wasn't, I mean, I was alive, but I was a kid. 
Um, I probably would have been in the middle more, but now yeah. the Republicans have moved all the way over yeah, there. I, yeah. I pretty much agree with most of their values. Yeah, 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 100%. I, I agree with that. I think a lot of Republicans have moved to the middle, and the Democrats that were in this phase of like, am I going to stick with where this party is going a lot more to the left? And it's not the party that I remember a couple years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. They're shifting over, right? You see these uh, even political, you even see people who were, you would say, were extremely liberal back in the day that are just saying, like, this is absurd. When is this going to stop? This is just absolutely crazy. This wokeness, this, um, this attack on free speech, this attack on rights, this just crazy ideology. Like this guy, uh, who is this guy? The I think it's Bill Moore. I don't know. But he's a... He, he was like this before he was like the far left and now he's just attacking the left and he's like this is crazy like what yeah. you guys are doing is absolutely crazy like i'm not gonna go send my kids to, to uh, my five-year-old kid to uh, an elementary school and have them learn about sexuality and yeah, like sexualize my kids it's, I think that's when crazy. is this gonna I think stop crazy. yeah it, it's crazy it's something that's absurd and, and going back to like the economy regarding politics i do think a lot of people are not gonna agree with this but i do think the democrats are the party of the rich no matter what people say what what they do like right now what's happening in the economy with all this inflation it's really benefiting the rich the people getting squeezed are the lower middle yeah, class yeah. and the low class yeah um i th i think they are the party of the rich and i think th the republicans are really the party of the middle class because they want the economy as a whole to move forward yeah i think you know uh, the it you say economy of the rich economy of the poor but like going back to like milton friedman what he used to say and it's like capitalism right a lot of people um they look at capitalism and they say, okay, that's, it benefits the rich, kills the poor, right? It's terrible for the poor. But there has never been a system, an economic system in the history of our world that has benefited the poor more than capitalism. Damn. Yeah, that's true. There has never been an economic system in the history of our world that has benefited the poor more than capitalism. Let me explain to you why. Sure. There's going to be inequality in capitalism. People that work harder, people that are smarter, people that uh, the most gather resources people. and are creative and uh, are able to delegate work and able to create businesses and have ideas. They're going to succeed and they're going to climb up the ladder. But anybody could. A poor person could have an idea. They could be resourceful. They could be hardworking. And they could climb up all the way to the top. Rockefeller, Carnegie, they were born poor. Right, a lot of them were born poor. Jeff Bezos was not born rich either. Right, all these people that right, and those are just examples of the wealthiest. But how many people started at the bottom and now they're higher upper class or rich, in yeah. in, a, in a way, right? And not only that, even the poor people, right? You go to any poor person here in America, and they most likely have a flat screen TV in their room, in their house. They probably have cable. They have internet. They have a smartphone. The majority of poor people here in the United States. Compare that to the majority of the world. That's true. They're rich to the to, to a lot of countries that are poor countries. The poorest people in the United States are rich, and and, and this is this is another. The, the thing is, human psychology is always going to see inequality, right? Like a poor person's, they they, they might have more than ninety percent of the world outside, but their neighbors that's what they're going to compare themselves to, and that's why you see that you know uh, anger from poor people towards the rich. But, I think that is why the U.S. is the best, though, yeah. um, because like. I think it's really because we do have a middle class. I think that's why the U.S. is the best. Because you look at other countries, they have a, an ultra wealthy and then people that are literally living on the streets kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then the, the, the other thing is, uh, you know, the 
America, I think it's the best because a lot of people, th- this is another thing you have to realize. A lot of people say like, sure, America is a racist country. Like th- a lot of people say that argument, America is a huge racist country or systemic racism. There is racism in America. There's racism anywhere, right? Like a- anywhere you go, you're going to see racism. And yeah, th- it, it's a problem. I don't think, it's not sy- systemic here at all. Let me explain to you why. Like y- you're going to see in corporations, there might be a corporate leader that's a racist, but he's in a capitalist country that guy is going to get taken out. Let me explain to you why. If he if he has a, if he's racist against a Hispanic, for example, and he doesn't like Hispanics and he doesn't want to hire a Hispanic that's extremely smart, that Hispanic is going to go work against his, for his competitor who's yeah. not racist. And now he's going to benefit that company and that company is going to perform better because of this guy's ideology. I think right? capitalism trumps racism. Yeah, it trumps racism. It, it it completely does. It completely does. If you think a business person that's that that's um African American or business person that's black or business person Hispanic, a business person is Japanese or a business person that's white, they talk to each other. Do you think they're really saying, oh, I'm not going to talk to this guy because he's Japanese. I'm not going to do a business deal with this oh guy man. because he's Hispanic. Yeah, the, mo- the money makes a bigger difference. Exactly. And, and and also, the the think about it like this. Anybody can come to America and become an American. Yeah. Anybody can immigrate to this country and become American. You can look any way that you want. You could be any color. You can ha- look any type of way and you can still become an American. Are you going to tell me if you go to Japan right now and you live over there and you become a citizen that you're going to be known as a Japanese? <laughs> or you go to China or you go to India That's true. or you go to many countries and you go to Norway and you're going to go around telling people, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Norwegian. Like it's, it's Yeah, we're like, we're, we probably are the least racist. If country. you look at it like that, yeah, there's countries like in South America where you see a lot more diversity, but we're the most diverse country in the world. By far, yeah. And anyone far. can make it. Anyone yeah. like the, the 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 highest paid individuals in this country are actually Indian Americans. Damn, I didn't did know you that. know that? Yeah, they, they make like over a hundred k median income. That like the crazy. median income for Indian Americans is like over a hundred k, and then you start seeing and it's just a bunch of diverse like like uh, ethnicities that are just making a lot more money than just the average white yeah. person. The thing is that the the U S doesn't care. I, I really don't think the capitalist U S they don't care what you are. You know, yeah, like they don't absolutely. care if you're white, black, Hispanic, anything Indian. They don't care. They, they just care about like if you have a good idea, they're going to support your company. Your company's going to yeah. do good. If you're competent, if you're hardworking, like you're going to succeed in a capitalist country. If you're lazy, if you don't want to work, you're not going to succeed in a capitalist yeah, country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what the capitalism does. If you're lazy, you don't want to work and you're in a socialist country, everybody's going to be equally as poor as you. So you're gonna be you're you're gonna be like okay fine like there's no rich people here I'm gonna uh, I'm living like shit but everybody else is living <laughs> like shit you know so so you don't have that, that it kills all incentive a socialist country it kills all incentive kills uh and, and there, there's another thing that Milton Friedman says that I completely agree with and it's you can have equality of outcome or you can have equality of opportunity you'll never have both perfectly but you cannot have both at the same time what does this mean? If you shift more towards equality of opportunity, you're going to have a lot more inequality of outcome, right? There's going to be, if we are both equally, uh, we both have the same equal opportunity to chase our dreams, you might, be, you might be more successful than me or I might be more successful than you, but I have the same opportunity as you to go chase whatever I want to chase, right? Whatever I want to do privately as an individual. Yeah. If in, in the other case, in a socialist country, we both have to go work for the government. We both don't have that equal opportunity to chase whatever freedom we want, right? It's so, just a rat race. Exactly. And if you, if you go more towards equality of outcome, you have far less equality of opportunity because we don't have the same opportunity to go chase whatever we want. So you can, you can have 
either or, but you can't have both. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. That's a really yeah. good quote. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Well, socialism just doesn't work. I think it's it's a theory. I, I think it's just a theory. It's a theory, and and if you if, if you do look at it right, the theory is beautiful. Yeah. Like Marxism, right? When Karl Marx came out with the Communist Manifesto, I've read it. It's a beautiful manifesto. It's a beautiful book. The ideas are beautiful, right? Like I don't think he had a bad intent doing it, but the the <laughs> there's a lot of people saying, you know, uh, the road. Uh, there, there's a famous saying saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Holy shit! Right, <laughs> and um, it basically this book, the the whole idea of communism is. Instead of having individual goals, we all have to come in as a community to have the same goals, right? So we all have to come in and work together as a community. The only problem where they go wrong is that they're killing individualism by doing this. So now people are different. We're not all the same. Nobody's the same. Everybody is completely different. Every single person is completely different. Yeah. We all have different uh we all have different aspirations. We all have different uh work preferences. Work ethics, we all have different... Um, moral ethics as well. Moral ethics, we all have different ambitions. We all have different likes, preferences. We all different bodies. We all have different athleticisms. We all have different... Everything. Everything is completely different. So if I'm not free to chase whatever I'm interested in, and now I have to go towards a community goal, which I might not be interested in, how am I going to perform the same as somebody else that's interested in that goal? And what it also does is, it's a beautiful goal, uh, uh, idea as well, right? The whole community works together. But as it kills individualism, it, it forces people to work together. Individualism allows people to choose to work together. That's right. So that's what capitalism is, right? In capitalism, you see people working together, right? I say, I'm interested in pizzas. You're interested in pizzas. Let's start a piece a pizza business together. Yeah, yeah. Let's start a pizza restaurant. Or even like people working for companies as well. Exactly. You know? Like like the groups and stuff that, that you work on. Like one person didn't invite invent iPhone, you know, it, yeah. was, it was a whole team of people working together to make that iPhone. Yeah, exactly. They had the choice to. It, 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 but they, they decided to be there, right? They weren't forced to. In a communist country, it's everybody's forced. Yeah. Everybody's forced to work together for the community goal that is made by very few individuals at the top. Those goals are chosen by the very few individuals that are running the communist country, right? And they're forcing people. So the difference, the main difference between communism and capitalism is that capitalism allows for choice. It allows for freedom, and it allows for con convincing somebody to work with you instead of coercing them. Where communism is just pure force, no freedoms, and forcing people to do things for you. Yeah, yeah no, it doesn't work. You could ask the Cubans. You could yeah, ask you could ask Cubans, Venezuelans. <laughs> yeah, like it's like, yeah, you're Cuban, I'm half Venezuelan. So it's you see that, you know, you you, you see those countries, and you're like, it, it, all these uh, and all these socialists in this country that want to turn this country socialist. Why don't you just take a trip to Venezuela? But honestly, Go over they, there. they should really, yeah, they really should because yeah. they, like in their heads, they probably actually have good intentions. They have they good just intentions. don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, they just haven't read uh, any Adam Smith. They haven't read any capitalism either. Yeah. They've only read the other side. And, and the, the other thing is they, they, they think that they could do it differently. And that's what every single communist leader thought. Yeah. Or they even didn't think it, but everyone that voted him into office thought it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, like yeah. I don't think they have bad intentions at all, and, and that's the thing, right? Like that—that's why I don't hate liberals either. That's why I don't hate socialists because I don't think they have bad intentions. I just think they're they just misguided. Know. Exactly. They're uneducated. You know, take, yeah. a, take a trip to Cuba, see what's up. Take a trip to <laughs> Cuba. Take a trip to Venezuela. Right? Like, understand the whole underlying of the whole system and what it does. It's never worked. 
right? And capitalism has worked for every single time that a country has implemented capitalism, their economy has grown, and their standard of living has increased. Yeah, yeah. And capitalism Any good. single country. It yeah. also creates competition, so it yeah. makes you be better. Yeah, it, it gives you incentives to be better. Why would I be better if there's no competition, I'm still going to be making the same as you? Yeah. If I'm making $10 per hour, you're making $10 per hour, we're only allowed to work five hours a day. Yeah. Why the hell would I work 10 hours and not get paid for the other five hours. Yeah, bro. Like with, with everything, like think about it like in the real estate world. Why are you going to work with me as a real estate broker or as a mortgage professional? It's because I'm going to work harder. I'm going to get you a better deal. Yeah. Um, as a landlord, why are you going to rent my house? Because my house is better looking than that guy's house. So it makes you get better and better. Like as another, like let's say another realtor we're seeing, like, oh, he's really quick. He's really good at negotiating. I need to be quick and better at negotiating. So it makes all the standards higher and higher because that guy, he gets better. I, I have to get even better to get more work. So I think- yeah. Capitalism is good for everyone, you know, it makes makes competition. It's the only reason we have all this technology because everyone's trying to get better to make more money at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. E- economically, I'm very capitalistic. And then socially, I'm, I'm a lot more liberal than than I am, like conservative, I would say. So like that's that's kind of where I stand there a little bit. But let's get to I actually had a, a couple of questions that some of our viewers were were asking. So I wanted to get some of these answered. We have one from uh, Ale Perez. Uh, he asks, how do you see inflation affecting market prices in the next year? Uh, real estate market prices? Market prices in general. I could talk about stocks, but we'll talk about real estate. You can go first. I mean, the inflation will just about it. keep pushing the prices higher. Yeah. Real estate's a hedge against inflation. Yeah. W- w- what I would say in, in, in stocks or businesses, which I think could apply a little bit to real estate as well, is inflation does is, is actually bad. Uh, for the majority of corporations in real terms. In nominal terms, it's good. What do I mean by this? So let's say you have inflation of 10% and stocks are going up by 8%. Your money's still going up, but your purchasing power is not. You're actually getting a negative two real return, right? And that's what you could see. And and the companies that are going to benefit in times of high inflation are the companies that have purchasing power Right. They have a like, for example, a company like Walmart that they can negotiate with all their suppliers or selling them the other goods. And they, they have so much purchasing power that they can essentially say you're not raising the prices by this much and they can raise the prices if they want to on their end. Or companies like I'll give you an example, like Facebook, that they have the price control to raise their prices and they have a competitive advantage or a moat where they're essentially in a way a monopoly in their own business that they can raise prices and they're not going to have competitors keeping prices lower right because this is what happens if if you you're saying okay there's inflation of 10 percent, so i'm going to raise my prices by 10 percent, but now you have a walmart that you're competing with that has they they might not have the inflation of 10 percent because you're telling their suppliers you know you're only going to raise prices by five percent with me because if you don't i'm just not going to purchase from you and i'm going to give business to anybody else that wants to get a lower profit margin and now they're going to keep, they're saying, we're going to, we want to keep the prices the same for our consumers. Those are the, the businesses that are going to benefit the most from inflation. There's a lot of businesses that are not going to benefit. So it, it just, you have to understand each individual stock. All right, guys. So this was a great interview with uh, Julian. Uh, it was a pleasure having you here on, on again. I, I hope to have you here a couple more times. And uh, well, we'll see you guys next time. You guys want to say, you want to say anything else to the viewers uh, where they can find you again, if they can, if they want to ask you a question or if they want to purchase a home from you here in Florida, uh, where they, where can they locate you and where can, where can they learn a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. I love being here. 
Uh, my Instagram is Julian Chavez underscore RE. They could check me out there. They could DM me on there. My number is also on there. All right, for sure. We'll put it somewhere over here. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you at the next episode.